in my personal opinion, one of the things uh, that we learned is talent matters. Stacking Denny's, we are on to Las Vegas Motor Speedway after the race at Fontana. I'm Jordan McAbee of FantasyRacingOnline.com. My co-host, Nick Giffen of the Action Network. New car, not a lot that we know going into the Fontana race, yet things stayed the same. Kyle Larson in victory lane in Fontana. But there were quite a few surprises. There was quite a bit of stuff that we learned in that race. It started off, the race weekend started off interesting to say the least. Um, you know, we had what six, seven cars that started in the rear, tons of talk, chalk plays in DFS. We had wrecks, we had wrecks in practice and in the race. We had very good, talented drivers spinning out. We had tire issues. What, Nick, what was your overall take from that race? Not even talking about the racing itself yet, because we can all agree that that was just phenomenal. But what is your take on? the kind of what we learned and what we can apply moving forward from the race at auto club speedway. I think, uh, in my personal opinion, one of the things, uh, that we learned is talent matters. Um, if you look at the guys, the, the five drivers that got the fastest laps, uh, you know, the five most fastest laps, they were, uh, Tyler Reddick, Kyle Larson, Chase Briscoe, Eric Jones, and Chase Elliott. Not in that order, but those were the top uh, five drivers. I, I don't have the order right. But of those, they're all really talented. Like People forget how talented Eric Jones is and how highly touted he was coming out of uh, you know the, the Trucks and Xfinity series. Chase Briscoe is a wheel man. Um, you see it on road courses. You see it on the high wear tracks. I, especially uh, the four of those that I mentioned that aren't Chase Elliott, I liken them all a lot to each other. They all you know, kind of get it done on high wear tracks and they can sling it at road courses. Obviously Chase Elliott's great at road courses too. Um, but like, I think the four of them are just incredibly, incredibly talented. And you really, really see that talent gap come in play. When you look at Eric Jones versus his teammate, Ty Dillon, look what Eric Jones did. And Ty Dillon ran around all day and like, you know, something like the 29th best average green flag speed terrible you know and eric jones is in the top two or three in average green flag speed so uh i love that talent comes into play i love that we you know ricky stenhouse jr was running up front another guy that i think uh is talented and i think he might have a chance to to show it with this car obviously he he wrecks a lot that's why he's called recky but he has the ability to overperform in a you know in a mediocre vehicle. And now that this car, I think allows talent to shine. It's no longer maybe a mediocre vehicle. Maybe now it's like, what does the driver do? So, um, you know, I think we're definitely seeing that come to fruition. Uh, Stuart Haas racing still struggled a little bit. Uh, but Chase Briscoe, I think had the brightest day of Stuart Haas racing. Uh, man, Kevin Harvick was, was not so good. Uh, Kurt Busch, not so good. I'm a little worried both of them are over the hill on the age curve potentially, but you know, it's one week into the season as far as not counting Daytona. Uh, so it's too early to say, but I, I love the parody. 
Uh, I love the fact that I think talent can uh, have a bit more of a premium as well. And, you know, and that talent's going to change based off certain tracks and things like that. I don't think necessarily Eric Jones is going to be way up there every week. Uh, but in the tracks that suit his style and then the tracks that suit, you know, maybe like Danny Hamlin's style, Danny will be up front, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's what's going to happen this year with the car. At least that's what I took away from the first race. We'll see. Yeah. Eric Jones was definitely the biggest surprise for me. You know, he had the best green flag speed. He had the best running position. And he was 100% of the laps inside the top 15. He did not have a single lap ran of those 200 outside the top 15. He could have won that race. And I think last year we got very used to Eric Jones being back to being a less than mediocre driver. But you know what? That The Petty GMS partnership this year, I think they might be a force to be reckoned with because – Eric Jones, we know he's very good at uh, Darlington. This is just something to note before we get to Darlington. He was very good at Auto Club. He was very good at Darlington when he, when he was in good equipment with Joe Gibbs Racing. Remember that moving forward. The, rate, the, the tracks that he was good at when he had good equipment, I think, are going to translate very well this year to where Eric Jones is going to run well again. I, I think he's gotten kind of like a new lease on equipment this year. And, um, you know, it, it, that was fun to see. You know, he running out front all day. Um, you know, but obviously again, not only Eric Jones, but Tyler Reddick again, had the best car, just like he did in the clash. He had the best car at auto club, um, had issues and, and didn't get the fans she deserved. Um, but like, like you have to think just off the small sample size we've seen out of this car, like you said, the wheelmen are going to get the wins and Tyler Reddick, I think I wouldn't be surprised if he won three or four races this year. Just, it, it, it's kind of like. I know we compare him a lot to Kyle Larson, but that seems to be the best comparison. Kyle Larson was in decent equipment. If Tyler Reddick gets a top-tier ride, we could see him win in 10 races very soon. I mean, that guy, he is definitely breaking out this year. He might um, have a top-tier ride now with the way the new car is. You know what I mean? Because um, Richard Childress Racing was really heavily involved in the testing of the next-gen car. Uh, and if you look, those RCR affiliated teams, look at Eric Jones with Petty GMS. Um, you look at, uh, obviously, Daniel Suarez didn't run way up front, but still pulled off a fourth place finish. Uh, you know, I think a lot of those those RCR affiliated teams have been doing really well this year. And uh, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe he's in the top equipment now with the the neutralizing of the field or, or kind of the leveling of the playing field with this new car and everybody's still trying to get a handle on it. And I have to say, holy crap, Tyler Reddick has bad luck. His car broke at the Clash. His car broke at Daytona, which I think caused him to wreck. But I think it was like a something happened on his car, which caused him to, you know, caused him to wreck and stuff. Uh, if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong. And then California, his car broke. I mean, it was a tire in this case, but something broke all three uh, races for him. You know that that we've really had so far. Yeah, definitely. Like- it is. It's bad luck, and eventually the bad luck's going to stop happening, and he's he's going to dominate a race. He would have, I think, he would have dominated Auto Club if, if that wouldn't have happened. Um, but you go back. You've mentioned, you know, Kevin Harvick, Kurt Busch ran like crap most of the day, and obviously they both started in the back. They finished seventh and eighth, though. And I think there's a lot of, and you and I talked about this um, in direct messages on Twitter after the race on Sunday. You really, really have to take into account more than finish. And there's a lot of people that don't. And I tweeted about this today. I, you know, 
there's so much data at our fingertips that you really have to analyze everything. So when you look at actually green flag speed, Kevin Harvick was 24th. Kurt Busch was 23rd. You look at Daniel, Daniel Hamrick, who finished ninth. He was 28th in green flag speed. You, especially early on this year, you really have to take into account the vast number of different metrics that we have. Some surprises that were actually faster than I maybe thought they would be would be Austin Sindrick. He was eighth in green flag speed. He ended up finishing 12th. And then you mentioned, you know, Chase Briscoe. He was up there as well. Interesting to note, Chase Briscoe was 10th in green flag speed. Cole Custer was 13th. Almirola ended up finishing sixth. He was 14th. I think that early on, it seems like the younger guys at Stuart Haas are running a little bit better than Kevin Harvick. And I know you mentioned his age. Uh, definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward. But it has to be very uh, encouraging for the the Stuart Haas organization to see Briscoe running so well. You know, it was nice seeing him run up there because I think we all know that he has the talent. And if he can do that more this year, you know, that could be a very good good season for that team. Cole Custer, you know, he's another one that kind of took a step back his sophomore year. And then, of course, Almarola's on his uh, his uh, retirement – or not retirement tour, but this is probably going to be his last season, right? Um, so yep. something to keep an eye on there with, you know, Harvick and, and uh, Kurt Busch and, and them being older. Um, and obviously Kurt Busch had that pass-through penalty to start the race at Fontana due to failing inspection three times. And, you know, you and I – talked about that quite a bit on Twitter, how it's, that's literally never been a big deal and people overreact to it so much. It, it blows my mind. Yeah, that, absolutely. And uh, I want to touch on that point you made about all this available data and like Chase Briscoe, you know, uh, one of the things we need to do is, is not just look at finish, but like you said, look at average green flag speed, look at uh, things like percentage of fastest laps, percentage of laps led. I don't love percentage of fastest laps as much at uh, Fontana because of the tire wear. Uh, and obviously we had a ton of restarts, but percentage of laps led, four drivers led at least 10% of the laps they ran. Uh, obviously Kyle Larson, um, he, he led 14% of the laps that he ran. So 28 laps uh, led out of 200 laps run. We had Tyler Reddick, of course, leading 45.2% of laps that he ran. He he led 90 laps out of 199 laps run because he finished one lap down. Uh, we had William Byron leading 16 laps out of 151 laps run because obviously he crashed into Reddick there when Reddick had his problem. Um, so 16 divided by 151 is 10.6% of laps led. And Chase Briscoe, 20 laps led. In 200 laps, exactly 10% of the laps led there. So, you know, Chase Briscoe, he he went up there and he drove up and he took the lead. So, uh, yeah, it was nice to see the young guns shine. It was nice to see uh, the wheelmen wheel it. And like you mentioned, Eric Almirola, Kevin Harvick, uh, Kurt Busch left a little bit to be desired. Now, Eric Almirola at least has been kind of consistent in his finishes. So he stayed out of trouble, which is one of the big things that bit him last year. Uh, but of course we're only two races in, but, uh, you know, he's, he's sitting up there, uh, nice and pretty actually in the, the point standing. So, um, you know, Eric Almirola, I think with a fourth place finish and a sixth place finish, uh, sorry, fifth and a sixth, uh, puts him seventh in the point standing. So, um, you know, if you can bring it home, that's what matters. And, and Kevin Harvick did what he had to do. He, he brought it home. He didn't have the fastest car. Uh, I don't know if it's an aging thing because he didn't win a race last year you know there was definitely a little drop off i think relative to his teammates he was still much better Stuart haas dropped off but maybe there's a little aging thing there with kevin harvick because he just wasn't fast at california but to his credit he stayed with his 
within his means. And he brought it home for a top five, uh, top 10 finish there, seventh place finish. So top 10 finish. So, you know, that's one thing he doesn't, you don't see from Kevin Harvick very often. He's not going to overdrive it and wreck it. And it was funny because he actually did do that in practice. I don't necessarily think he overdrove it, but maybe he didn't know where the limit was on the new car because it's the first time we've ever driven this new car at a non-super speedway package, uh, you know, non-short track, like your kind of standard intermediate. So maybe he found the limit and knew exactly where that limit was and stayed within that the rest of the race. But uh, something to keep an eye on. Harvick had, you know, the whole Stuart Haas team had a fall from 2020 to 21. Uh, but we did see Chase Briscoe rebound. We saw Eric Almarola have a better average green flag speed than Kevin Harvick. So a little concern there for Kevin Harvick, but it's just <clears> one race. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, uh, you know, the, the leaders from Fontana and, you know, you also take a look at Chase Elliott, who scrubbed the wall two, three times while leading. He led 12 laps. William Byron wrecked when Reddick wrecked. He When Reddick wrecked, he led 16 laps. Eric Jones led 18 laps. I mean, it was awesome. Joey Logano, 14 laps. I I don't see how people, anybody voted no on Jeff Gluck's poll. Now, obviously, there's only, always going to be people that dislike this, any race. But how anybody votes no but the biggest takeaway that I got it, in addition, like I said, the amazing racing, was people could come back. Well, one, tire issues are something that NASCAR needs to get control of because that is something major. There's no reason you should lose three to four laps when you when you have a tire issue. Two, and kind of going off of that, we saw several drivers come back from multiple laps down. Kyle Busch finished 14th. He should have never finished 14th. He beat Denny Hamlin. I mean, it was the it was the weirdest yet like most satisfying race I think I've watched in a while. Yeah, uh, and and the reason is twofold. A, it was hard to handle the cars, so you could spin out even without a tire issue. B, obviously tire issues. Uh, so like Tyler Reddick you know, cut a tire or punctured or got a flat or whatever. Uh, so, so the issues cause a lot of cautions. And then, so that's part A is all those issues. And then part B, you're at a really high wear tire, high tire wear track. So everybody's coming down pit road every single time. You know what that means? Wave around. And if you're not waving around, uh, additionally, you're getting the lucky dog because, you know, for example, Daniel Hemrick, he took a bunch of wave arounds and then he got a lucky dog. He was six laps down at one point and he finished ninth from six laps down Kyle Busch was what three or four laps down uh somebody else I forget who it was was three uh Balicki I think it was was three laps down at one point and got back on the lead lap before having another issue but like at least three cars came back from at least three laps down which is possibly unheard of uh and I love that you can get back into the race I do think some of it has to do with the high tire wear of auto club. You could, you know, catch half or, or all the field come down uh pit road for a wave around. So, so you, you could stay out and get the wave around. And then another quick caution happened. You do the same thing. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was really, really interesting to see that. And I think that's good because um, you know, that, that just makes more competition uh, and it makes for higher variance. So it makes it harder for, for betting. It makes it harder for, for daily fantasy but we can take advantage of that. If, if things get too chalky in daily fantasy, you can get away from the chalk there. And that, that makes it a little bit interesting. So there are still strategies to deal with high variance. Now it remains to be seen 
Was it just a high tire wear uh, auto club type thing? What's going to happen at a track like Texas, which is only five or six years old and track age and, and super low tire wear traditionally, you know, we don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, but uh, I think drivers will spin out even more potentially at Texas because all of a sudden you're on the ragged edge uh, aerodynamically because you got that extra speed. The tires aren't wearing. There's uh, a whole lot of grip. And so you can just go crazy fast. And now with the, the high horsepower and the low downforce, you could see some cars start to wreck. Uh, traditionally, low tire wear tracks have had a higher incident rate than high tire wear tracks. So I don't know what we'll see at something like a Texas. We might see crazy incident rate. Who knows? But maybe teams will also uh, teams and, and, and NASCAR and stuff will also figure out some of these issues by then. I don't necessarily think they're issues other than going three or four laps down with a flat tire. That's definitely an issue. But I'm saying like, I don't think spinning out is an issue. I don't think hard to handle is an issue. I think that's a great thing. So um, kind of exciting what, where NASCAR is. And, uh, you know, it, it. you're right. The Jeff Gluck poll, I don't see it. I mean, maybe it's Chase Elliott fans and, and we could talk about this, but uh, Chase Elliott fans, salty that teammate Kyle Larson kind of put him into the wall there. What was your take on that? Uh, I don't know if you saw it, but what was your take on that incident there at the end between Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson? I, you know, initially I was like, well, I never once thought that Kyle Larson would do that on purpose. Like there's no, and to, to actually think that he would, I think he's had a bad few weeks and it's, you know, people are now starting to be like, oh, he's just putting people on the wall. At the clash, I think that was intentional. I don't think what he did, I mean, he, he threw a late block and it just happened to be his teammate. I, I, I don't think, Larson was fighting for the win. I didn't see any problem with it at all. Um, and he would have done. I think he would have tried the block on, on anybody else. So I don't think – I haven't seen anything where Chase Elliott's like upset or mentioned that he's upset, is he? Uh, I think there was some radio communications in the race of Chase being pretty pretty pissed off. Uh, and, you know, I've I've definitely seen some gossip around it. But uh, at the end of the day, Kyle Larson's spotter uh, on Twitter took blame for it. Um, but, no, I, I definitely didn't think it was intentional – Obviously, Kyle Larson's not uh, – I don't think I've ever seen him be a dirty driver. You know what I mean? Uh, I think he races hard, and I think he definitely made a late block and, and didn't mean to. Uh, but that's racing. These things happen. You're going for the win, and Kyle Larson races hard. Obviously, Chase was upset about it, and I think he had a right to be because it wasn't his fault that that he got put into the wall there. But uh, at the same time, that's just – that's racing. Um, it wasn't intentional. Yes, it's technically it's Kyle Larson's fault. Uh, or, or maybe a spotters, I don't know, or the combination, but it's not a f- intentional thing. And, and so I think, uh, you know, the little bit of frustration that Chase Elliott showed there um, probably got a little blown out of proportion. And I hope, man, Chase Elliott fans, please don't be voting in the poll just because your driver got uh, voting negative in the poll just because your driver got put in the wall uh, accidentally. And, you know, that was the second incident Chase had. He was another one of those drivers who, who had an incident oh my god chase elliott spun in uh the first stage and i had a a pretty sizable bet uh on on chase elliott to take stage one it was kind of a late late bet that i made um and uh you know it looked like he was gonna run away with stage one at nine to one and unfortunately spun out so that was that was too bad but uh, he came back from a lap down uh and still had a chance uh, at the end there to, to kind of be in the mix yeah, I, w- I would expect his his radio communication to be like that though. Like he's gonna be pissed off in the moment. I'd be a little more concerned if like if like 
going in like next weekend, like, you know, during practice or something, he's still salty about it. Then I'm going to be like, well, why? like you have to, but speaking of bets, I have to give a shout out to my boy, Austin Dillon coming through with my 10 to one top five finish bet uh, last Sunday. Uh, that was in my, in the action network article that PJ Walsh put up. That was my, my favorite bet was uh, Austin Dillon top 10 plus 150, but I said it was worth a sprinkle to put it on 10 to one for him. Top five. He came home second. And also Kurt Busch, top Toyota, 14 to 1. Hit that one. That one was lucky, Denny I Hamlin. will say. <laughs> that was the luckiest bet. And I didn't even know I hit it until like 20 minutes after the race. There were a couple people tweeting me. I'm like, wait, did that hit? Because Hamlin was ahead of him. And then yeah. I looked and Hamlin was 15th. And I was like, what in the world just happened? But, hey, you got to have some luck sometimes. You, you, you take what you can get. Um, you know, looking at uh, average green flag speed, uh, Kurt Busch, I think, was like the fourth or or so or fifth best Toyota. Um, so, you know, one of those. Yeah. We, so we got it here. We got uh, looking for Toyotas. Danny Hamlin was ninth in average green, green flag speed. Truex, 12th. Uh, Bell, 15th. Of course, he ended up, uh, have you know, spinning out and getting the flats and ended up ruining his day. Uh, but up to that point, he he was you know 15th in average green flag speed. Kyle Busch was 20th, and then Kurt Busch 23rd. Bubba Wallace 32nd. So um, yeah, Kurt was was fifth in average green flag speed. But that's what happens in attrition races. You gotta you gotta take advantage. So um, definitely like that call there uh, on on you know taking advantage of that 14 to one line on Kurt Busch. I thought bell 14 to one was still fine. It could have been, you know, if he hadn't spun out, it could have been him being the top Toyota there. So just one of those weird days. And you know, that's, that's what we got. It's, it's just the same thing. Like Ty Dillon, 40 to one as top Chevy at Daytona, right? There's times where just variance happens and those odds are too long. And so, you know, you got lucky on the Kurt Busch, but that's exactly what you got to do. Those 14 to one things are, designed to be lucky you know what i mean i almost got Mm -hmm. lucky that i almost got 40 to 1 on ty dylan but it's designed to be lucky that way and one of the the kind of the pinnacles of of betting that i talked about when there's a lot of uncertainty and especially a lot of variance um so uncertainty and variance can be a little bit different like we didn't know what was going to happen in the car you know the new car but then once we saw everybody spinning out that we knew was going to create a lot of variance when we saw practice and qualifying so uh you know, the, just when there's all that wide range of outcomes, those longer shot bets are are you know things to do uh, are good bets to make very often. Um, don't just make any long shot bet, but you want to find the value, the ones where they can reach that upside more than their implied odds. And and so I think uh, Kurt Busch fourteen to one, especially with only six Toyotas, probably a pretty darn good bet there. I mean, my model didn't love it, but. It's also not, you know, it's still it's still adjusting for the new car, the new year. Uh, it doesn't know exactly what the variance is going to be and stuff like that. So probably my model, and my model did have it almost exactly at uh, 14 to 1, by the way. But, uh, if, you know, I guess if the variance had been increased a little more, 14 to 1 definitely would have been a good value bet. So uh, nice bet there, Jordan. I have, to, I have to give you a pat on the back on that one. Yeah, it, was, it was a pleasant surprise, and I'll take that. I did bet, you know, I was with you there on, on Christopher Bell, 14 to 1. And then after, like, it was like 10 minutes after that, DraftKings lines moved, and they moved Kurt Busch to 14 to 1. I was like, well, I cannot pass that up because I really liked Kurt Busch last weekend. Um, he was one of my, my favorite plays of the week. I think I wrote him up in my article, actually. But um, 
but yeah. And you, you know, you're talking about how not crazy the ending got, but just the drive, the best, the best cars didn't finish up front. The best cars all day didn't finish up front. And we, we head into Las Vegas this weekend. You have to, do you let that affect you now, both betting wise, but more so fantasy wise? Cause that type of variance, it opens the door to be different in DFS. Like, and this is the stuff early on in the year, these first, you know, six races, people are going to be still stuck in old mindsets. And it really depends where you want to end up on this, on your thinking, because you're either going to be really wrong or you're going to be really right when it comes to leveraging your lineups and the different drivers in them that nobody's on that just because these races could end up like this, um, you need to, you need to make those moves. And like I said, it, it, you're either going to lose your ass or you're probably going to win a bunch of money when it comes to DFS with those mindsets. So, so going into Vegas, it's a less tire wear track, but as you tweeted out today, it was, it was repaved 16 years ago. I know last year you talked about, it's kind of like in the middle between a low wear high wear track. So we go for, from super high wear at, at auto club to, you know, mid to high high wear at Las Vegas. Do we see that same type of stuff? And obviously, I don't think there's any way to fully know that that we don't know what to expect. But um, you know, do we see the Daniel Suarez, the Eric Jones, the Austin Dillons in the top five on Sunday at Las Vegas, or are we going to see our typical guys? Yeah, I mean, we don't know, and and I don't think we're going to know until we see practice and and or qualifying, and even then, we might not know. So let's think about this Daytona. We were like, oh my God, it's going to be boring. There's going to be groups of like four or five cars. And that's what all the drivers were saying. You know, Denny Hamlin was saying it. Multiple drivers were like, oh, you might get you know, little four or five car breakaways. You're going to lose the draft a lot easier. That didn't happen. It was like a really good Daytona 500. Auto Club Speedway, uh, I quoted in my article that I wrote up for DFS. Uh, I quoted another article that had uh, – an interview with Alex Bowman, he was like, man, it's gonna be so hard to pass it auto club because this resin and this, you know, this thing and that thing, he thought it was gonna be really hard to pass. You could pass all day at auto club. That was really good racing. So I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen this weekend. I can't pretend to know. Uh, I can't tell you what's going to happen, but I do want to see practice. I do want to see qualifying because that definitely gave us good indications at Auto Club. It, it didn't give us great indications at Daytona, but I think that's a whole different beast. But I think at Auto Club, it gave us really good indications. So I want to see practice and qualifying at uh, at Las Vegas. And one thing I do want to say, if you notice, there were a lot of cars that practiced really well. That also ran really well. Eric Jones uh, was up yeah. there in five lap average. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was up there in five lap average. Uh, you know, obviously Logano practiced really well. So uh, practice kind of correlated with the race. Uh, it was it was pretty interesting there. So you know, I think maybe there's more we can take away from practice than we expect. I don't know yet. It's still so early. It's one race, but it's just something to note and. I made another note on Twitter uh, where I wanted to, you know, we, we talked about this ahead of time. Uh, I mentioned this in an article, but I want to know what years, what, what similarities to past years are there. And auto club statistically ended up really similar to 2014's auto club race. Um, it's interesting because 2014 was high downforce. Uh, it was high horsepower, but high downforce. And, uh, you know, it was in that previous gen car. 
but the track was also eight years younger. So it was kind of in the medium tire wear at that point. Uh, you know, if you just remember one year earlier, 2013, Denny Hamlin struggled to pass Joey Logano with 22 lap fresher tires uh, before they had their incident on the last lap and Kyle Busch stole the win there. But 2014 was only one year later. So still kind of on the medium, medium high ish tire wear side. It wasn't like a super high wear like we see these days. So maybe that higher downforce and, 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 and a less wear track kind of might be translating to what we see now with a higher wear track, but a totally different car. So just something to keep an eye on. I don't necessarily think, you know, 2014 Vegas will be like 24, uh, this year's Vegas, but maybe it's something to note for auto club, et cetera, et cetera. So just, I'm keeping an eye on the trans as Larry Mack would say, uh, of what, and I'm going to start doing this for all the tracks. Like what, past years were most similar to this year and maybe there'll be some grand overarching theme of like always 2014 or 15 or whatever you know maybe there's some grand theme or maybe it's just totally random we'll see yeah it's i i saw your tweet about that and i was like it was weird just how how closely correlated they were the numbers and obviously you know super small sample size super small sample size just one race, but yeah, like you said, something to keep an eye on. By the way, most wins that year were Brad Keselowski, Kevin Harvick, and Joey Logano back in 2014. That's the year that uh, Ryan Newman made the Final Four. And and, and here's Kevin an Harvick here's an interesting stat. Here's an interesting stat because uh, I know we're gonna talk about Vegas, but uh, and, and drivers we like. But you know, if people who follow me on Twitter probably saw my William Byron tweets. Uh, Brad Keselowski in 2014 at Auto Club was. William Byron, 2014 at Auto Club, led, led a bunch of laps or, or was up front all day and then had an issue and finished way back there, won Las Vegas. Uh, so, you know, I really like William Byron at Las Vegas. So that'll just be something to see. Like, it, maybe there is correlation between 2014 and this year. I have no idea. We're one race into the season other than Daytona. So it's tough to say. But just a mental note. That's all. Just a mental note. Something to file away to kind of keep investigating. Yeah, lines came out this week, and and the biggest shock, and and you were kind of on the opposite of most other people in the the NASCAR industry, was Kyle Larson opened at six to one at DraftKings, and I know I hit it as soon as I could. I got it at plus five fifty. Some people got it at six, but pretty much everybody was you know jumping right on that. You you kind of stayed away. You don't you don't think Kyle Larson should be the favorite, uh, or you don't think. Don't think it's great value. I I didn't mean to say he's not. Sure. He shouldn't be the yeah. favorite. You don't think the six and five to ones are great value for Larson, um, even though he did you know best average running position, best average finish at the low wear mile and a half last year. Speaking of which, William Byron was second best in average running position on those last year. But uh, give us give us some insight into why you don't like Larson as much as you know many others do. Yeah, just. Uh... We, we saw what happened, right? Like Kyle Larson wasn't the best car. He wasn't even the top three. He, he might have scratched the top five in terms of best driver car at Auto Club. He was plus 400 on DraftKings going into the race, and he didn't look like a plus 400, uh, you know, four to one favorite. He, he definitely didn't look like that. You know, he was the fifth or sixth best car, and fifth or sixth best car is not going to be plus 600. The fifth or sixth best car mm-hmm. should be... 10 to 1, something like that, right? So 10, 12 to 1. I'm not saying Kyle Larson should be 10 or 12 to 1. I definitely, my model still says he should be the favorite, but my model 
thinks he should be around plus between plus 450 and plus 500. But if I ratchet up the uncertainty, ratchet up the variance, uh, if I use a little more aggressive assumptions with Auto Club weighing a lot more, all of a sudden now he's like plus 600 favorite, six to one favorite. So that's right at break even with where he opened at six to one. I just don't think that's value. So my uncertainty leads me to say, I can't make this bet confidently thinking it's value. So I want to make, and we all have different philosophies. I like to have a lot more confidence in my bets. uh, And I probably kind of broke that rule a little bit last week when I bet early on Truex and I bet early on, uh, well, I mean, I basically just bet early on Truex, Larson, and and Blaney. I still like my Blaney bet, but uh, Larson definitely was not a four to one favorite the way he raced uh, this past weekend. So I don't know. I I I'm not there. I understand what everybody's seeing from last year, but this isn't last year. The last weekend was evidence. This isn't last year. Yeah. Uh, I just, I'm to the point where if Larson opens at six to one at a track where he's won at before and has ran well at, I'm never going to not hit it. Um, just because of how good he is and how good that Hendrick equipment is. But one thing I did notice, like you said, this isn't last year, but one thing that I think was similar on Sunday that was, that happened a lot last year was Kyle Larson and that five team are really, really good at improving the car as the race goes on if he starts out as the best car he's going to dominate the race if he starts out as a sixth place car he's going to be in contention for the win by the end of the race if he starts out a 10th place car he'll be top five they have this knack of making that car better and getting there at the end that is i don't think enough people talk about it it's it's crazy how good that team is at making adjustments it's amazing because it happens week in and week out and and I'd be curious, though, I'd be curious, though, if he was running that far up front, if Tyler Reddick wasn't wrecked, if William Byron wasn't wrecked, uh, you know, uh, if Chase Elliott hadn't had his major issue. I'd be curious if Kyle Larson was actually right there in contention for the win. I I don't think he would be. I don't think anybody could beat Tyler Reddick. So maybe, maybe. I mean, it just depends on the the late restarts, but uh you know, I, 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 and I agree with you. I mean, Reddick definitely had the best car. Definitely was the, the class of the field. Yes. Uh, this past weekend. Um, but, uh, I, I don't think Larson would have been right up front contending for the win necessarily if three other drivers that were top tier in that race didn't have significant incidents that put them at least one lap down, if not end their day, uh, obviously Chase Elliott got back in the lead lap, but he, he wasn't the same. His average green flag speed was down in the twenties because of what happened to him earlier in the race. So, uh, you know, I, I'm very, very curious, about. I still think Eric Jones had the better car. He just didn't, you know, and, and at the end he just didn't restart very well. Uh, so, you know, I mean, Blaney lost positions on every stop because of the right rear issue with, uh, the way the setup was in that car or something, I just don't necessarily think without all those other people having the issues they had that Kyle Larson would have won, won that race. I don't I don't know that he actually got a whole lot better. Maybe he did, maybe we'll see uh you know his his average speed ratcheted up or something. Um I haven't looked at at segment data, but you can't even use ranked segment data because obviously all those others had yeah. issues, so Larson's going to jump in the ranks just because others were out of the race uh in the different segments. So tough for me to say if they actually made adjustments 
or they were just in the right spot at the right time and took advantage of other top drivers' misfortunes. I get what you're saying. Um, but I, I totally agree with you last year that that definitely happened and it could have happened now. I'm just saying, I don't necessarily, I, I can't say that was the case because of the attrition that happened to the top drivers. Yeah. And we don't know, you know, we don't know if attrition is going to happen again this week. Um, all we do know is that Las Vegas motor speedway is a mile and a half track, medium to high wear. What, before we get into, you know, talking specifically about, you know, recent Vegas races, what tracks, so last, last week you like to compare auto club to Atlanta and I like to throw in Michigan since it's another two mile track. What are the similar tracks to Las Vegas for, to look data, to look at data this weekend? Yeah, honestly, I think you can pretty much just take, uh, all the mile and a half that are, you know, not the, not the true oval. So I wouldn't look at Homestead. Um, I wouldn't look at Darlington. It's a little less than a mile and a half. Um, but all the quad or tri ovals, I think you can pretty much look at all of them. I would say maybe except Texas, uh, since the repave. And if you're looking at past years, also Kentucky was, was recently repaved now they don't race there, but you know, if you're going back two or three years, uh, I probably wouldn't consider Kentucky or, or, or Texas, but the rest, even Atlanta, I think you can take into account because Las Vegas is now a 16 year old track and like Auto Club kind of hit its old age uh, at 18 years. And now it's, uh, you know, it's like 2015, 2016. It kind of really started to become an old age right around the time NASCAR DFS started. Uh, so we're only a couple years off of that for, for Las Vegas. Um, and as far as climate, it's not too dissimilar from Fontana. Uh, so I think... You know, I definitely think you could even include potentially Atlanta or and or Auto Club in it. I would look at pretty much all the mile and a half, but obviously the most similar is going to be Charlotte, Kansas. Uh, I think those are going to be the most similar, and you can even use Michigan in there, um, which is which is around ten years old. I think both Michigan and Kansas are ten year old track surfaces. Uh, Charlotte and uh, Las Vegas are 16 year old track surfaces, but you know, auto clubs like a 24, 25 year old track as well. So a little further away, much more in its old age. Uh, but I, I wouldn't care if you, you threw in an Atlanta and auto club and, uh, I would just probably stay away from adding Texas, but most likely, uh, I would just, I would take Charlotte, Kansas and, and Michigan as like the most similar and, you know, Michigan's two miles. So it's a little different. So you know, if you really wanted to get specific, Kansas and Charlotte are probably the two most similar. Mm-hmm. And you, you tweeted out earlier today how Vegas and Charlotte were repaved the same year, 16 years ago. So that kind of yeah. just stuck in my head. One thing to know, you, you you talked about similar conditions, you know, both being on the West Coast to Fontana. I don't remember what the temperature was to start Fontana. Uh, it's right now um, weather forecast says 62 degrees on Sunday for Vegas which I think is a little bit cooler than, I mean, it was 80 degrees there today. So it seems like they're, they're getting a little bit cooler. Um, but that reminds me, you know, the Toyota is having a little bit of an overheating issue overall in Fontana. Is that a concern? You know, I, it seemed like they all had some sort of overheating issue. Um, is that something we need to kind of just make a mental note? And, you know, if it happens again, definitely start going lower on Toyotas. Yeah, it's one of those things where you don't know if it's going to be a one-time issue and they figure it out and they correct it, 
or it's going to be one of those things that crops up multiple times, kind of like Blaney's right rear. He had some right rear changing issues uh, at Daytona, and then he had the same thing at, at Auto Club. Uh, there's been other ones in the past, you know, like uh, not necessarily engine issues, but something related to something, you know, where it's cropped up multiple times. Uh, and so it just depends on if the team's going to catch it and figure out what happened or not. Uh, and you know, maybe they were really aggressive with some kind of, of setup type thing, uh, that caused some overheating and they didn't, they didn't realize they were going past the line there. So it's tough to say, but it's definitely one of those, like make a mental note. If it happens again, uh, then, you know, it, you know, it, it really starts to become kind of a, an issue, but of course, the more it happens, the more likely they are to fix it as well. So it's always one of those things like, when is the point where they've corrected it or not? We don't know it, but it is something to just make a mental note of. Same thing with Blaney's right rear tire change. Like, are they going to get to the point where they're not setting up so they're not losing five stops in every pit stop? Uh, you know, that's that's really what we want to see because Blaney was bad fast and uh, passed the most cars by a long shot. Second most was Ricky Stenhouse. And I want to say this about Ricky Stenhouse. Uh, if, if you were watching live, he came through the field at the start of the race. He was flying. He was really good. He was running up front kind of anyway, but like he was coming to the front. He was still 500 to one live on points bet. And so I was paying attention to what he did the rest of the race because I knew people that bet him 500 to one live and uh, every restart they had Stenhouse lost a couple spots uh, on the first lap. Now he made it up on lap two and lap three. So if you look at like restart speed, he'll still look pretty good. But on lap one, he was terrible and he kept losing spots. So that's why he passed the second most cars because he kept losing spots on the damn restarts. So uh, that was kind of frustrating for those 500 to one Stenhouse betters. If there hadn't been so many restarts, I legitimately think Ricky Stenhouse Jr. had a chance to win that race because he was good, but he just never got out of traffic all day because of the restarts. Yeah, that was... Both issues frustrating. I was I was heavy on Stenhouse DFS. I was heavy on Blaney overall. But man, that uh, him losing. I'd love to know how many spots he lost on pit road in that race. I could go back and and check it. I'm just too lazy. But um, he had a great car. Um, but man, that was. And I know like a lot of people are like, oh, you need to fire his pit crew. And I tried to respond to him as many as possible, saying like. No, they, they said it's a it's a setup issue. Like they literally can't do it any faster. Like something's wrong with the car. But um, but yeah. Um, so Las Vegas overall, there's several drivers. You know, just looking at the last six races here, there are eight drivers that have a sub 10.0 average finish. So it seems like we see a lot of the same names up front here. Penske cars are always good. Keselowski and Logano two of the best here over the last six races, which is the last, I think, three years. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, last three years. Um, Truex, he has a win here over the last six races. Larson, uh, Kyle Busch, Denny Mm -hmm. Hamlin. So three JGR cars. And then Kevin Harvick and Ryan Blaney. All of them under 10.0 in average finish. Now they all have – none of them are a perfect six for six when it comes to top tens, but they all have at least four. Um, And then it kind of, you know – gets kind of spread out like nobody is as consistent as those guys even chase elliott you know he's had good runs here in the past but um seems to run into issues and if i remember correctly the second race here last year was the one where byron was good elliott was good and then a lot of them made stupid pit calls 
Yeah, uh, I think all four Hendrick drivers got caught out on bad pit strategy. And uh, Larson fortunately survived, I think it was, on the lead lap. Um, or, or maybe it was Elliott. One of the two survived on the lead lap. The others went a lap down. Byron got his back. Larson got his back. Bowman may have even got his back. And then, like, Byron and Bowman both had flats late in the race. It was just a disaster for them, even though they were four of the faster cars, especially other than Bowman. Elliot Larson and Byron and Byron actually had the fastest green flag speed. He was the class of the field that day. They just got bit on pit strategy. He had to come. He literally had to pass cars left and right on a high downforce, low horsepower, hard to pass, low wear track, you know, or medium wear track. Like he was passing cars like crazy on a situation that was pretty hard to pass and still had the average fastest average green flag speed, which is in- super impressive. Uh, so you know, only, imagine if he had clean air all day, what he would have been an average green flag, green flag speed. So, um, yeah, it's one of those things where you're, you know, just as you mentioned, you can't just look at average finish. Yes, those big names from those big teams had lots of great average finishes, but some of that's taken into account two years ago, three years ago, when Stuart Haas Racing was way better than they were last year, when Kevin Harvick was younger than he was now. Uh, some of that's taken into account, of course, Brad Keselowski and Penske, not on uh, Roush, Fenway, Keselowski racing now. So, um, you know, I, I definitely think there's a little bit of misleading information, but it also does go to show that consistency still matters. You know, it's important to be consistent. And that's one of the big positives for Kevin Harvick is he's consistent, even if he's not the fastest he doesn't put himself in a whole lot of trouble a whole lot of uh, the time. So yeah, I think that's, uh, there are drivers in, there's a reason they call Kevin Hart the closer. There's a reason Kyle Larson always seems to do well at the end of races, even if he's struggled early. Uh, it's because these drivers know how to do that, whether it's through the setup or just being consistent or something else. Uh, they're, they're experienced and they're, they're knowledgeable. And, and so that creates consistency in finish better than they run. But with all that said, if there aren't as many issues, it does make me a little worried for somebody like a Kevin Harvick. It does, you know, make me think maybe Kyle Larson shouldn't be a a, a four fifty or five to one, you know, four and a half, five to one favorite, just because I think we're going to see a, a little bit different thing here than we've seen in the past. But who knows? But you know, I really think, I mean, and we haven't talked specific drivers. I think William Byron and I, I, we, you know, I tweeted a whole thread about it. I think he's super value at 12 to one on, on DraftKings, 13 to one on FanDuel. Uh, you know, Jim Sonis from, from FanDuel, he does his own modeling. He's got, he's got Byron at 9.1% to win. Uh, and there's 7.1% implied odds for him to win at, at FanDuel at 13 to one. I have him at about 10.2. I think uh, when I, that's on my early preliminary model. I think my full model, uh, is probably going to bring him down a few tenths, but you know the mid to high nine percents I'll have. So the, the two of us are very in line with our percent chance of winning for William Byron. So I love betting William Byron 12, 13 to one. You know, I'd bet him down to around 10 to one. That's uh, that, that goes right into my next question because I got the I got the odds here pulled up on DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, well, first of all, your boy Ricky Stenhouse. He finished third here in 2020, led 30 laps. So I'm going to keep an eye on, you know, after this that is a very, week. this is one of his better career tracks, by the way, this is definitely one of his better career tracks. Um, yeah. And if DraftKings prices him like they did last week, 
I'm going to be all over it again. That was that was some very interesting pricing by DraftKings last weekend. Uh, it was fun to build lineups. It actually was. Um, hopefully, hopefully they do that again. But is there anybody that sticks out to you? You know, Byron's at twelve to one. Truex is at sixteen to one. Bowman's at twenty to one. Kyle Busch twelve to one. Anybody that sticks out to you is as maybe mispriced, or is this all you know in line? I think Eric Jones at the same odds as Christopher Bell. That just makes me laugh. But um, they really hate Christopher Bell this, this year. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, and and on FanDuel, Christopher Bell's thirty-two to one. Eric Jones twenty-four to one. Um, so that's that's an interesting factoid, I guess. But uh, they're really Daniel Suarez is forty-two to one on FanDuel. Uh, because he finished, you know, whatever, and he, he didn't race as well as Ricky Stenhouse Jr. last week, yet he's priced cheaper than Ricky Stenhouse Jr. You know, he's more of a favorite to win on FanDuel than Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Uh, if you look at Daniel Suarez on DraftKings, 40 to 1, Stenhouse 50 to 1. I don't, that makes no sense to me. Absolutely no sense. Uh, I, you know, Stenhouse should easily be favored over Daniel Suarez. Can they give us a Daniel Suarez, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. head to head? I would love that. Um, <laughs> you know, he's ahead. Suarez ahead of Chase Briscoe. Give us a Briscoe Suarez head to head. I like Briscoe at fifty to one. Uh, I like you know Briscoe's fifty to one on on DraftKings and FanDuel. I like that number on Briscoe. I like that number on Stenhouse. Uh, I think it's just it's kind of ridiculous some of these prices, but they also went really aggressive on drivers that looked good or finished well. Eric Jones, um, obviously Daniel Suarez finished well, but. Uh, Tyler Reddick, they went really aggressive on. Um, so it's pretty interesting to see some of these aggressive moves they're making, these books. They're really reacting to Auto Club. But how much of that is an overreaction? One person they didn't overreact to is William Byron because you know why? He crashed out and finished really poorly. Uh, and and they didn't overreact to Byron. And that's why Byron is such a great value because he was better than a 12 or 13 to 1 this past weekend at Auto Club. He was probably... You know, he was probably the the eight to ten to one second or third place type car. I mean, it was better than Larson, and I didn't think Larson was a plus four hundred. Uh, I thought Larson was maybe around a ten to one. Uh, so I think Byron is maybe an eight or a nine to one type car this past weekend. He's thirteen or twelve to one, depending on whether you're using FanDuel or DraftKings. Um, so I think they reacted really heavily to certain things, and uh, you know, even if I bake into account a very heavy weight to auto club. Eric Jones doesn't even touch, doesn't even sniff 25, 24 to one. Um, no. it, it, you know, I'm, I'm really baking in a heavy weight to auto club and it doesn't even come close to, to 25 to one. So I think some of these moves are really aggressive. Now it's still hard to overcome past data. If, as we start to get more data, if Eric Jones is still running in the top five. Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden now I have two races that I can weigh really heavily He'll definitely start to approach that, but with one race on a team that traditionally hasn't been great, uh, it's it's very tough to say. And um, you know, I I just think some of these lines are pretty aggressive, but I do think there's value. Uh, I definitely think there's value at, at, on Byron, and I definitely like Chase Briscoe and Stenhouse. At least keep an eye on them at fifty to one, especially if they practice well. I don't know how much they're going to move in odds it didn't really seem like Eric Jones moved much in odds uh, after practice at uh, auto club. And so, you know, he was still 50 or 60, whatever to one after practice. And he mm-hmm. was practiced up there in the top you know, five or six, seven drivers in five lap average. So we'll have to see. 
We'll have to see. I think there's value in waiting this week on some of the longer shots like Stenhouse and Briscoe to see how they're doing in practice and then maybe pull the trigger. Even if they go to 40 to one, I, if they look really good in practice, you know, if they're top five or 10 times in practice, 40 to one still is probably value on them. It'll be interesting to see just because of how aggressively the books have adjusted early in the week, whether that'll translate after practice, whether they'll get more aggressive after practice, after being, I mean, they didn't change much after practice and qualifying last week. Um, but and you know, you mentioned, I was yeah. just saying Kyle Bush and Truex 14 to one and 17 to one on, on FanDuel. Like if they're practicing in the top three or five, all of a sudden, you know, uh, how much are they going to move? So yeah, I, I, just some names I want to keep an eye on uh, Kyle Bush Truex in that mid range as well. Yeah. That 17 to one on Truex is that's hard to pass up. Yeah. But he was pretty yeah, bad at auto club. He was, I'm always a big Truex guy though. I, yeah. um you know i say pretty bad and he still had the 12th best green flag speed he just he wasn't up there he was he wasn't even plus he had every time he runs that uh what what was the sponsor that starts with an r re re, research or whatever uh i don't know i think that's what it was let me check here quick um i like i bring up sponsors so much with martin Truex jr ret r-e-s-e-r Research fine foods. Whenever they are on a car, it, it happened with Eric Jones and it happened with Truex. They suck. Just like when Auto Club is on Truex's car, he's awesome. So yeah. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Truex a little bit of a pass there, um, in my opinion. But 17 to one, you know, you look at his recent Las Vegas races: fourth, sixth, fourth. He had a 20th, but he was running top five all day. And then before that, a win. An eighth, a third, a fourth, a win. Like that, that doesn't, there's no reason for him to be 17 to one in my, I, I haven't bet it yet. Like, you know, just to be fully transparent, I have not bet anything. The only bet I have is on Larson right now. Mm-hmm. But Martin Truex Jr., by the way, over those nine races, he's finished inside the top 10 in every single stage 18 for 18, finishing top 10. So I, I think that, that that line jumps out at me quite a bit. Um, I don't think Truex should be at 17 to 1. But you did mention, you know, overreaction. And we're going to see the same exact thing with DFS players this week. And I think you really need to, especially with guys like Eric Jones. Eric Jones, you need to, you need to keep that in your mind that people are going to overreact over these first two races. Um, but someone like Eric Jones, he's good at some tracks and he's not good at others. Las Vegas is one of his worst tracks. Charlotte is one of his worst tracks. Atlanta was one of his worst tracks. Like when you actually look at the numbers, he's not good at these racetracks. He's really good at Darlington. He's really good at Fontana. He's really good at Texas. He has tracks that he's really good at. He has tracks that he's not good at. So you still need to keep that stuff in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, one, an, another line that I noticed, I know I'm jumping around a lot here, but that's how my brain works. Um, I like your, I like the William Byron, you know, 13 to one William Byron plus three twenty for a top three. That is attractive to me. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was looking around and, um, at top threes, et cetera, top fives. Byron's two forty on DraftKings is what I'm seeing. Where are you seeing the three twenty? Three twenty is on FanDuel. FanDuel. Okay. Uh, Oh yeah. Hmm. Oh, there it is. Race props. Yeah, Byron, 320. So I was like, he's not value at 
at 240. And I actually specifically look, you know, whenever I see a guy's value in, t- in outright, I also look at, uh, at their odds in top three, top five, et cetera. Yada, yada, yada. My early model for Byron on top three um, gives him about a 26.5% chance. So let me do the math on that real quick. One divided by zero. One divided by 0.265. And subtract one. So yeah, about 275-ish is uh, plus 275 is break even. So yeah, plus 320 is value there on William Byron. So definitely like Byron top three plus 320. Uh, I think I'm going to throw that in my action app tracker right now. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, and by the way, like it, you know, if, for those of you who listen to the podcast, you probably already know Jordan and I are always tweeting it out. Uh, and a lot of the NASCAR uh experts on Twitter. Um, you know, we track our bets this year on the action app action network has really gone hard on NASCAR this year. I love it. Um, maybe, maybe a little bit had to do with the, them bringing me in the house, but also, you know, they just wanted to grow all sorts of parts of their business and NASCAR is one of those. So, uh, we've got a whole team of us tracking bets in the action network app. Now you can see all the different experts, etc. So make sure to follow us on the action network app because you'll get to see what we're all betting and when we make the bets and you can, you can tail the bet, you can like the bet, etc., etc. So, um, yeah, I really like that Byron plus three twenty over on FanDuel. Yeah, the uh, and I bet you I tweeted this out the other day. Like some some bets we can't track in there just because you know, like the top Toyota bet for for Kurt Busch that I had, yeah. I couldn't put it in there. So any bet like that, I still tweet. Yep, but exactly. My other bets I'm tracking in the Action Network app. Looking at odds now, top five is. Is DraftKings trying to just ruin everything? Like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven drivers under even, and then you got Reddick at plus one thirty. So Byron minus one ten for a top five. What is this? What in the world is this? Eric Jones is minus one forty for a top ten. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what DraftKings is doing. No. I don't. No, they've kind of it's... broken everything longer than threes. They've not everything, but. Most of the things longer than three, they've broken. There's there's even less value on top fives, even less value on top ten. You really have to dig for top ten value. And they they totally busted top twenties last week. I mean, there's no way you could bet a single one of those. Uh, so it's it's extremely frustrating. But you know, it just means you got to be super picky and choosy and, and really really think about those bets if you want to make them because the value is super thin there. There there still can be value in top threes, top fives, uh, even top tens, but it's pretty thin value, you know, and, and the Austin Dillon one was a very good bet, but, you know, it was another one of those where he took advantage of attrition. Austin Dillon ran 19th in average green flag speed, but finished second. So, yeah. you know, it, he restarted on that last restart really well and was in contention, but he came out of nowhere. He wasn't He wasn't in the mix all day. Uh, so just one of those things where, um, you know, there is value and, and, you know, maybe in these high variance situations, there's more top 10 value than we think with some of those middle to longer shots. But, uh, it it just depends to see if there's, it remains to be seen if there's still going to be high variance at something like Las Vegas or, or uh, other tracks, you know, we don't know if 
things are going to be like they were at Auto Club. One guy that's sticking out to me on top 10 odds, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. plus 170. Yeah, Briscoe and Stenhouse are both 170. I think they're both uh, both pretty decent there. Uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was seventh in average green flag speed. Chase Briscoe tenth. Of course, like I said, Chase Briscoe actually led some laps. Stenhouse kept falling back on restarts. But I think both of those are, are pretty interesting value if they continue to race like they they did in the past. Um, but I agree. I think Stenhouse is so good at Vegas that that could be pretty interesting. So. Just something to keep an eye on. I'd like to see practice speeds and times because it definitely correlated at Auto Club. And uh, I also want to know what kind of variances they're going to be. Uh, are we going to see the same thing we saw at Auto Club where people are spinning out in practice? People are reckoning qualifying. You know, that, those are the things we don't know. And the lines last weekend didn't move a ton after practice and qualifying. Uh, there was a few situations you could take advantage of, but not a ton. So I'm very curious to see, again, just what we're going to see in practice and qualifying. Mm-hmm. The, there's hey. one head-to-head bet I, I really like as well while we're sticking on these these bet things. Uh, yep. DraftKings, and, and PJ already read up this. I actually uh, talked with him about it before before I knew he was on it and before he knew I was on it. You know, He was already writing it, and I didn't know he was writing it because you know, we, we live on opposite coasts. Uh, and... I was like, dude, PJ, these featured matchups uh, on DraftKings at the time, Austin Dillon was like even money or, or minus one Oh five. Like, dude, I think this is versus Kurt Busch. I was like, this is good value. I haven't even run my model, but this just looks like a really good value. Uh, those, you know, Kurt Busch is may, maybe taking a downgrade. The Toyotas didn't look great. The RCR cars look really good. Uh, I was like all over Austin Dillon over Kurt Busch at even money or even minus one Oh five. And Peter's like, Oh yeah, I'm actually already writing that up right now. Like that's literally in our, our chat conversation history. So it's really funny, but I like that. Now it's at minus minus one fifteen each. So it's a little less uh, amazing there, but uh, I definitely still lean towards Austin Dillon in that matchup. But you know, the minus one fifteen definitely changes it. But early on when it was plus a hundred minus one Oh five for Austin Dillon. I liked that. I didn't see. Unfortunately, I didn't see it. But um, yeah, that's with you there on you know those two. Is, I can't believe I'm going to end up two weeks in a row betting on Austin Dillon. Like, what in the world is going on? This is bizarre world. It is. It is. But hey, that that's how you it know. Was, though, I, when, I when, you, say, when you can take emotion out of it and just bet with common sense, that's when you know you're you're on the right track. Just in general, as a as a better as a you know, a, a gambler or whatever, because you can't be rooting for your favorites and or betting on your favorites just because you like them or betting against somebody because you hate them or taking heart into it. It has to be all brain. It has to be pure numbers. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and almost like the weeks that I'm betting on Austin Dillon or I'm betting on Denny Hamlin, you know, there's still a little bit of emotion there because it's kind of like a win-win. If they, if Denny Hamlin doesn't win, then I'm happy. But if he wins and I'm betting on him, then I'm happy as well. And same as Austin Dillon when I bet him, you know, I was actually uh, people at the bar can attest to this last Sunday. I was rooting for Austin Dillon. I wanted him to win the race on Sunday. Like I just, 
the the way that whole race went, I was rooting for him at the end. I was hoping that he 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 passed Larson. Absolutely, but, as you should. Yeah. Oh, all right. So, Chevys were the top cars last week. Nothing, yeah, I think there uh, were some strong Fords, but but overall, Chevy was definitely the best team, uh, manufacturer. Uh, there were some strong Fords. I mean, Blaney and Logano were right up in the mix. Briscoe looked kind of strong, etc. I think Blaney or Logano was a little bit of a surprise. I know um, I, I bet him top five at plus 170, I think. Um, but... He was like, I think he, he was a little bit stronger than even I thought he'd be, you know, even after his practice speeds. Cause you know, him and Blaney both look good on long runs. Like Logano, I think ran was a, one of the few that ran 15 laps. And anytime a driver gets that, like, you know, they like their car. Yep. Logano had the fourth best driver rating in that race. One thing to note, and this goes back to how, just how things change in that race. Only four drivers had a driver rating of a hundred or more at yep. Montana. And one of them was Reddick, even though he finished 24th. <laughs> I know, right? And, and that's another interesting stat is uh, Reddick had his, one of the highest all-time driver ratings for a driver that finished from 24th. William Byron has the highest driver rating since loop data began in 2005 uh, at, at intermediate tracks. So I'm not counting um, I'm not counting Homestead because it's more like a true oval. I'm not counting Darlington because it's more like a true oval. But at tri-oval uh, intermediate tracks, William Byron has the highest driver rating ever for finishing 34th place, going back to loop data starting in 2005. That is 219 <laughs> races. So, yeah, there were definitely – and he didn't crack the 100 mark, but like you said, there were there were only four. There could have been more if Byron had finished well. If, uh, you know, for example, uh, Ryan Blaney was up there all day. If he hadn't had all his pit issues and kept falling back through the field – his driver rating would have been higher because his average running position would have been higher. Uh, his Probably his finish would have been higher. Those factor into the driver rating formula. Uh, similar for Stenhouse. He was 91.1, and he kept dropping back on every damn restart. He kept losing st- places in pits as well, just like Blaney. Uh, so it was one of those things where we could have had five, six, seven drivers above 100 driver rating. We only had four. And it was, you know... As frustrating as it was for fantasy and everything, watching it was amazing. And I think that's that's the biggest thing. Because we said, and we've been saying, early on in this year is not the time to go big on DFS. I mean, I I didn't go super big DFS this last week, and I don't plan on this week either. Right. Um, yeah, I probably went bigger sit, than sit I should back have. And enjoy the race. I probably went bigger than I should have on betting, and I did add one last bet. Uh, you were talking about Logano and how you were a little surprised. I was very uncertain on Logano, and I tweeted it last week that, like, yep, I, you know, I I could see the arguments for Logano and the arguments against Logano, and he was one of those that had really wide uncertainty because he did terrible at the high wear tracks last year, like garbage terrible. Uh, and he hasn't been great at him for a couple of years, but in the low down force years of 2016 to 2018, he did a lot better, especially at auto club. So there were some signs to cling to with Logano. Plus the Fords had looked really good at 
the clash and at Daytona and Logano in general looked really good. So I, he was one of those was like, I can't really bet for him. I can't really bet against him. And then when I saw practice and qualifying, I was like, dude, Logano at 14 to one is value. And he was, he was running right up front all day. Uh, he led 14 laps, which is 7% of laps led his average running position was way up there. You know, he had one of the best average running positions, uh, in the whole, the whole race there. So, um, let me go find his average running position here. Says 20, but I feel like he was a lot better than that. If I, uh, that was his low. I was was in the wrong column there. Uh, yeah. Joey Logano's average running position. Second among all drivers. 5.4. Yeah, I was going to say, an average running position of 5.4 is what I was looking for. Uh, second among all drivers. So he was right up there. I mean, 14-1 was good value on Joe Logano. And I noticed with practice, like you said, best five-lap average, second best 10-lap average, uh, only driver that ran a 15-lap. And like you said, that's when drivers are really comfortable with their cars is when they make those super long runs. I look for those things, and I was like, dude, Joey Logano, he, qualifying, he qualified uh, – into the top 10 and he was on pace to have a really good lap as well in final qualifying. There's, there's two rounds of it now at these tracks, but of course he, he spun out. So he started uh seventh in, or whatever it was seventh instead of uh third or fourth or fifth that he could have been, or even second, but Logano looked incredibly strong. So 14 to one was super appealing to me. So I did end up betting him at the end. And uh, I think that's what we might have to wait for, this week, like you're saying, you're not really heavy on betting right now. Only bets I've made are Byron outright, uh, the Austin Dillon head head, and I'm going to take that that Byron top three as well. So that's where we're at right now as far as betting. But you know, you definitely want to reduce that volume. I learned my lesson last week. I made too many bets too early. Even my Kyle Larson four to, four to one bet that I won and I put two units on. I wasn't happy with because he was not a four to one car uh, driver that day. He, he just wasn't. So that wasn't a great bet by me, but I do think the Logano bet, which is the one I made with the most information was my best bet. Uh, I was fine. Totally fine with the Blaney 12 to one, but that true X bet was pretty poor as well. I think so uh, lesson learned. I really like the Byron bet. That's why I made it. Other than that, I think I'm done until I see some track activity as far as outrights. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest takeaway from Fontana, other than the tire issue, is that practice is very telling. We know what these cars have. I mean, in my mind, basically what we're getting is, like, as opposed to last year where they unloaded and raced, this year they're unloading, they're showing us what they got, and then we go from there and you kind of just have to make adjustments for the teams and the cars that are historically very good at making adjustments like Kyle Larson. Um, Kevin Harvick's pretty good at it. Truex's team really, it, it depends on the track, but typically they're not. Um, but other than that, I think, you know, nobody's going to be sandbagging in these practices. And, and I think, I think we, sh- I, I know I'm going to put, you know, a bit more stock in it this week at, at Vegas than I did at Auto Club last week because the the drivers that got off the truck fast were fast in the race as well. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. I'm going to put more stock into it. Uh, I, I That said, 
Auto Club is one of those, I, and I feel like this happens with the high tire wear tracks. You really see who's good over a long run because of the way they manage the tire wear. Lower wear tracks, I'm not as confident that practice will correlate as much, but I'm very open-minded about it. But you know, like you said, with Vegas being 16 years old now and kind of getting that medium to even kind of medium older age, the tire wear is is definitely on the higher side. We do see a drop off at Vegas, at least in the Gen Six car. We saw drop off instead of you know two or three seconds over the course of a run. It was one and a half seconds, uh, one to one and a half seconds over the course of a run, maybe up to two, but nothing like we would see where within five laps you're already two seconds slower at at, at Auto Club or, or Atlanta. So uh, I, I'm I'm definitely going to put more stock in practice this week, and and that's why I'm saving my bets. I I. I found one bet I really like. Absolutely love the Byron bet. Really, really like it. Um, I can't say enough how much I like the Byron bet. But outside of that, yeah, I, as far as outrights goes, I don't think I'm touching anything. I'm not touching Larson. I'm not touching Stenhouse or Briscoe. Some of these guys' name. I'm not touching Kyle Busch or, or Truex. I want to wait for that on-track activity because I don't think lines are going to adjust enough to justify it. Unless I see something outrageous like a Circa, you know, post lines which i'm i'm surprised they haven't yet because a lot of times maybe they have now i haven't looked since we started recording the podcast but a lot of times um by the time we record this podcast circa has posted lines but they hadn't up to this point today so i'm literally stalling right now as we speak and they know they don't have odds uh yet for for nascar so that's a little unfortunate i'm uh i started looking at the tires that they're bringing this week, they're bringing the same right side tire to Vegas that they ran at Fontana mm-hmm. and left side will be brand new. Gotcha. Yeah. And if obviously we That's can't compare them, we can't compare know. them to last past years because, uh, well, they're new tires now, yeah. <laughs> but that's interesting. But that's, because... that's just another, Oh, go ahead. That's just another thing, you know, We've talked. We talked briefly about this. I want to talk about it more. Is people that look specifically at just finishes, like tires. I have a full spreadsheet of which tires are used where and when they were used and everything. Like this is the stuff you need to pay attention to because you can find which drivers run. Like it's crazy as it sounds. Which drivers run well on certain tires, and then just, it's it's crazy. But so I wanted to ask you, like, because this this. The conversation we had after the race on Sunday um, has been sticking in my head. If you had to, if you had, let's say you had green flag speed, average running position, and average finish, and you had to weigh them to get 100% when it comes to relevance, where would you put finish compared to green flag speed running position? Finish is very clearly third, a very distant third. And, and that's actually... One of the qualms I have with the driver rating formula is it weighs finish too mm-hmm. much. It doesn't, it's not only finish, obviously driver rating is way better than average finish, but it still weighs finish too much in the formula. Uh, if, if you ask me, William Byron should have had a driver rating over a hundred. If you, it, you know, Tyler Reddick should have had a driver rating over 120. Uh, it, it weighs finish too much and it actually weighs average running position too much. Cause if you have an incident early, you're screwed. Your, your driver rating is screwed, even if you're one of the fastest on the track. Uh, 
average green flag speed is the most important thing, and it's not close. We always say when we're betting, we're trying to bet on speed. Now, that's, I would say, like, maybe an 80, 85% truth because guys like Kevin Harvick, they know how to close or, or Kyle Larson. They know how to adjust and make it better or close, whatever you want to call it. They're consistent. They get better. They, they avoid incidents, whatever you want to call it. It might be different for different drivers, but Harvick's Larson's seem, especially, you know, since Larson has moved to Hendrick, they seem to finish better than they run. Uh, or, or in some cases, Larson will dominate and then finish worse than he ran. But uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. you'll have have weird ass incidents that happen. But that happens with the guys. I honestly think that happens with guys like Kyle Larson, with Stenhouse, with Jones, Reddicks. They'll have more incidents than normal because they're so aggressive. Uh, but other times, especially somebody as experienced as Larson, they'll finish better than they probably should have because they may, if they don't have an incident, because they made a lot of good adjustments. I think Harvick's one of those that he just doesn't have a lot of incidents. So. He's super consistent, but average green flag speed, and I would remove major incidents from it. You know, obviously Chase Elliott's green flag speed is not representative of what he would have run at Fontana uh, this past weekend, but average green flag speed when you remove major incidents is a very big part of the solution. I don't know the exact percentage of it. I know what it looks like in my model uh, in terms of predicting, but but that's saying past average green flag speeds. How does it predict a new race in the current race? What was the driver's performance? I would say 80, 85% of it is, is green flag speed. You know, I think it's pretty clear. Tyler Reddick had the, you know, one of the best average green flag speeds because second best average green flag speed and probably would have been the fastest if he hadn't had his incident. Uh, he was the class of the field. And I think average green flag speed shows that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Better than finish. Yeah, even better than average running position because obviously he got a lap down and his average running position was uh, in the eights. So uh, eight point whatever. So he's he's sitting there looking like he wasn't as good as he was if you look at finish, if you look at average running position. But if you look at average green flag speed, it's pretty clear he was class of the field, you know, maybe second best probably would have been best without that tire issue. Yeah. I, I think he definitely would have been best just because, you know, with all those issues and with him then being in traffic, you know, I would, I venture to guess that his average green flag speed would probably have been about a half mile an hour faster than Jones. You know, if, if, and, and Jones was, they were basically equal mm-hmm. with Tyler Reddick having, and Jones was number one in green flag speed. Yeah, I don't know about half, you know, because I mean, he still ran 150 laps before his incident. So it was only the last quarter of the race. So I'd say maybe one or two tenths faster because uh, still 75% of that is is a true representation. Uh, and, and even then he was still probably pretty fast. But yeah, I'd say one to two, maybe three tenths. I wouldn't say half a mile an hour. It's pretty hard to be half a mile an hour faster. I mean, you know, Jones is only three tenths faster than Byron and, and Byron had an issue, but uh, I would say two or three tenths uh, of a mile an hour faster than, than Eric Jones is pretty reasonable. So, but your point stands, he would have been fastest, right? He would have been fastest and he would have been a clear fastest. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. You got anything else? Um, I just really want to say like, Guys, it's 
it's so important to pay attention to the on-track activity this weekend. I can't stress enough how important it was to pay attention to the on-track activity at Auto Club, and we need to pay attention. The other thing, I wanted to get this off my chest a little bit. Uh, what if we see more inspection failures? What if what if somebody fails four times and has to do a pass through? Are they done? Are they done? Are they it, because Auto Club is two miles of you know length? That's different than Vegas, which is a mile and a half. Are they done just because they failed inspection three or four times? No, they're not done. Come on. They're going to be the first car lap down. There's probably going to be a competition caution or some other caution, especially if you're watching practice and everybody's spinning out left and right. And you're watching qualifying and everybody's spinning out left and right. There has not been a time where a driver was totally screwed by the pass-through penalty at the start of the race. Even at Bristol, that hasn't happened. So let's not overreact to that, okay? That didn't happen at Daytona with Daniel Hemrick. He wasn't screwed. Kurt Busch wasn't screwed uh, this past weekend. Evan Harvick wasn't screwed at Bristol. Tyler Reddick in Xfinity wasn't screwed at Bristol. He won the race by pitting on the first lap of the race when everybody's not up to speed and you're just doing a pass through, you're still bunched up kind of close to the leader. It's not the same pass through when, you know, you get black flagged in the middle of a, a green flag run and you're 10 seconds behind the leader and they're going at full speed. Not the same. Mm-hmm. So let's stop overreacting to those things. Okay. That's that. I wanted to get that off my chest because that's, that's a little ridiculous that people are freaking out that much about that. And guess what? Kurt Busch wasn't even within 10 seconds of getting lapped at auto club. And then the caution came out 15 laps into the race and he was totally fine. Never even lost a lap. And I told y'all that was going to happen. He wasn't going to lose a lap. Told y'all. Uh, even if that race had gone green for another 20 laps, you know, if they didn't have a competition caution and somehow they had a 40 or 50 lap run, he wasn't going to get lapped. It's and it goes back to like we've been saying overreaction. Like I think that's like the theme of this week is overreaction because people are overreacting on stuff that they shouldn't be. And I get like it's a cool thing if you're right and and if um, if worst case scenario happens and yeah like somehow Kurt Busch doesn't get his lap back, but. 90 like over 90 percent of the time he's going to get his lap back i feel like and maybe that's a little bit high but the vast majority of the time it's not an issue and and kevin harvick was higher owned than kurt bush in DraftKings on sunday and i think a big part of it is the pass through penalty despite the fact that kurt bush started four positions worse than harvick and was cheaper than harvick he should have been cheaper he should have been higher than Harvick in usage, and he wasn't. Uh, and it's it wasn't a, a question for me. It it, it boggled my mind that uh, that you know people overreacted to that, or or you know the, that Kurt Busch was in fewer lineups than Kevin Harvick. It was just ridiculous, and people were you know. People love drama. Look at social media. Social media is just drama, right? Uh, I mean, we we know that. And 
people love, oh my God, this is the biggest thing ever, whatever. No. The dude was going to do a pass-through penalty, and if you look at the facts, if you look at the data, he wasn't going to go a lap down based off of how long it takes you to pass through pit road and how long a lap is at Auto Club. Obviously, a little different situation at Daytona with the draft being so important. We thought Daniel Hemrick would go a lap down, and he did. He didn't immediately, but after several laps, he got a lap down. But at the same time, he was the only car lap down when the caution came out, and he got the free pass, the very first free pass. That was on him that he lost laps again a couple more times. But the whole point is, if you can get a driver starting 33rd, in decent equipment, you know, colleague equipment where Kaz Grala almost won, uh, you know, or not almost won, but finished really well in super speedways and AJ Allmendinger won at a road course. Like if you're getting a driver in halfway decent equipment starting 33rd and will at some point be on the lead lap, almost guaranteed, you've got to play him like 35% if he's starting 33rd in a 40 car field at Daytona. You just have to. So if you're going down to 15%, 10%. That's just period the wrong strategy, the wrong play. And I think we saw the same thing again with Kurt Busch. He was at least he was in the 30s, but he was not higher than Kevin Harvick and he should have been. Period. Yeah, they were uh, Kurt was 44 and Harvick was 45. So it was it was decent. Well, yeah, even in the 40s. But, but but yeah, you get the point like he still should have been higher than Harvick because he was cheaper. Uh, honestly, we don't know if Kurt was in worse or better equipment than Harvick. Cause we didn't know about this car. And last year, yep. uh, you know, Stuart Haas wasn't a top tier team. They were a mid upper mid tier team, you know, and 23 uh, XI was maybe a mid tier team. So even in the equipment prior, uh, using 2021, Kurt was only in slightly worse equipment than Harvick. Obviously people know Kurt Busch has been awesome at auto club and Atlanta and higher tire wear tracks, especially the, the, the try and quad ovals over the past years, several years. So, I mean, he won Atlanta last year. He's been great at auto club. So there was no reason Kurt Busch should have been in fewer lineups than Kevin Harvick, who started four spots ahead of him. Uh, and Kurt Busch was cheaper. So, yeah, people are just overreacting to news that they shouldn't be overreacting to. Same thing with the Daniel Hemrick news. If anything, it made me like Daniel Hemrick more if people were going to get off of him. And clearly people did. So let's not overreact to news people. If you Again, if you tell me I can get a driver starting 33rd at Daytona who's going to be on the lead lap at some point, almost guaranteed, despite a penalty, I'm going to play that guy over 30% minimum. Minimum. So going down to 25, 20, 15, 10%. Nah, that's just the wrong play. Mm -hmm. Another, so like, like I said, there was a ton of chalk on that slate and another surprising ownership difference was Bubba Wallace versus Eric Amarola. So Bubba Wallace started uh, 34th, Amarola started 31st. Bubba was over 10% higher owned than Almirola, and they were basically the same price. Uh, Almirola was $400 more than, than Bubba. And obviously, you know, if you're, if you're fitting in Larson, Harvick, and Kurt Busch, which was like the chalk lineup to, to start with, 
you're probably going to land on Bubba and that $400 is going to mean a lot. But like for me, I was pivoting off of Harvick and going down to Redick, which allowed me that flexibility to then finish out my lineup and go with Almirola over Bubba. But I'm just surprised. I was just surprised by that, you know, huge ownership gap between guys that basically had similar upside. And, and, and again, it comes down to like, there's your place to leverage. Uh, another, another percentage. Wait, which, that which I was, driver was, uh, I don't have the ownership in front of me. Which driver was higher owned? Bubba was 44.4% and Eric uh-huh. Amarola was 34.0. That's kind of in line with my, with my model there though. I had them about my model. actually had them about 15% different in optimal. Um, and I think the big issue there was Eric Elmerol was more expensive and starting further forward. And I had them projected to run pretty equally in performance. So you definitely would want to go with the cheaper guy starting further back. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that gap maybe makes sense. My model actually had it even bigger uh, where Eric Elmerol was in the perfect lineup about a quarter of the time. And, uh, Bubba was in the perfect lineup about 39% of the time. So kind of in line there with, with what I would think, especially given the dollar values. That's probably my, you know, DraftKings tournament player mind there saying I'm going to pivot to Almirola over Bubba. No, oh, and, and I think, uh, I think that makes sense. If you also can project the ownership to be like that, I had, uh, my model had about a 12.5% gap in uh, ownership between them, and it ended up being a 10% gap. Now, if if my model had projected a 5% gap uh, or a 50% gap, you know, it, it then it changes the calculus there. If, if, if Eric Almirola was projected to be 20% played and Bubba was going to be 50% played, Definitely agree, like going heavier on Almirola and lighter on Bubba. Makes sense. Um, but my projections had Almirola at 27.5%, almost exactly, almost on the nose, 27.5%, 0.49. Uh, and Bubba Wallace at 40.05. So tw- almost 12.5% on the dot. And uh, what were their, their, their actual numbers? Because I don't have them in front of me. Who again? Uh, Almirola right. and Bubba Wallace. Bubba Wallace forty four point four and Almirola thirty four point zero. Yeah, so my model was uh, my ownership model on those two particular drivers was a little low. Uh, it actually ended up being low on on uh, most of the drivers starting in the back. Kevin Harvick, you know, my model only had Bubba above forty percent, and there were three or four drivers above forty percent, but uh, still, in just in terms of uh, ratio. It looked like Eric Almirola and Bubba Wallace were close enough that I probably would just played about equal weight on both of them, I think, to what I expected from the field. Especially given my model's uh, insights. But I, I 100% agree with you. If if Almirola was projected to be 20% and Bubba was projected to be 50%, I would have brought them right in line with each other and, and taken that tournament approach and leveraged exactly what we talk about with Daytona, right? Leveraged uh, the fact that the field was going to be underweight on him. So I'll go overweight on Amarola and vice versa with Bubba Wallace. Isn't DFS fun? It is. We're sitting here, we're sitting here analyzing last week's ownership percentages. (laughs) 
it, it's super fun and and you know it's one of those things where what is exactly correct we'll never know it's always a moving target we don't know it my model isn't perfect so you know the the saying in statistic go uh, statistics goes that some models are useful, but no model is, is perfect, right? There's, there's no perfect model. Otherwise you'd be describing reality, but there are useful models and my model's useful. It's not perfect, but it definitely will get you in the right direction a large percentage of the time, but I'm not claiming it's the end all be all of everything. Right. And I think the best thing you can do is leverage data and opinions from everywhere. One of the things, and and I really like this because I've been talking uh, with Sean Kerner, he's he's the director of predictive analytics at Action Network uh, and my boss uh, and one of the most accurate NFL projectors uh, in terms of player projections weekly for several years in a row. I think he won it like 16, 17, and 18 or 15, 16, and 17 top projector in a row for several years. And he's always in the top handful. Uh, one of the things I always talk with him about is it the wisdom of the crowds is so useful it, it comes down to that like guess the weight of the cow thing and you can get you know at the fair you can get 30 people at the fair guessing the weight of the cow some will even guess like 50 pounds some will guess like 2,500 pounds and you know the answer will be 500 but if you average all of their guesses together it gets kind of darn close to the actual answer so in some ways the wisdom the, and and that's what betting lines are betting lines are wisdom of the crowd with a little bit of you know i guess gambling or 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 hedging by the books, but they are a measure of wisdom of the crowds in some ways, right? If, if, if things get bet like crazy, the books will adjust, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'll go back to my IndyCar bet this weekend with Kyle Kirkwood. He opened it 300 or 500 to one, depending on the book. He should have been 50 to one. And he did get that down to 50 to one. And he performed like a 50 to one driver. He performed exactly as we expected from a 50 to one driver. No, he didn't win the race. No, he wasn't even up front. But of his strategy, he did really well. He performed in the top 12 in every session. Wisdom of the crowds gets it right. And, you know, when I when I tweeted my article about Kirkwood, people decided to dive in and the lines moved. And where they close tends to be a really good metric of wisdom of the crowds. And, and Sean and I talk about this a lot uh, when we're discussing whether it's college basketball, which is important right now because we're coming up on March Madness or we're talking NFL or, or NASCAR. Uh, when we have our, our meetings, wisdom of the crowds is a very powerful thing. And honestly, there are flaws in NASCAR DFS as far as ownership percentages, but it's gotten so much better over the years as people have learned more, especially restrictor plate. There's still issues because you get a lot, uh, you know, something like a Daytona 500, especially you get a lot of people trying it out. So they're not quite as in tune with things but there is a lot of wisdom in the crowds taking place and uh it's still beatable nascar dfs is still beatable betting nascar is still beatable but what i do is i incorporate those things into my model so i will incorporate the betting lines into my model when i'm trying to predict a race because no matter what my model says it still has about a 15% wisdom of the crowds. The betting line still has about a 15% weight in predicting a race outcome. So, you know, if, if, if my model, uh, all the variables that go to my model is totals hundred percent weight, wisdom of the crowds, the betting line still has about 15 to 20% weight in that model. 
That makes sense. Yeah. Because there's things you, can, you just can't capture through data sometimes. Um, you can't capture some of these subjective things or or weird nuances, edge cases in the data. But you know what does capture that? The betting lines. Yep. That was uh, <clears throat> that 500 to 1 bet. That was just funny watching how quickly the books were getting hammered and and you know they took it down for a while. like a lot of books Certain, took it, some took bo- couple books down. two at least two books took it down uh and one book completely took down all bets for that race before you know not even while there was on track activity or anything they literally just took on all bets another book just froze Kyle Kirkwood uh those are the edges that exist. Obviously, I'm not expecting a 500 to one long shot to win. I'm not expecting a 50 to one long shot to win. But Kyle Kirkwood, this weekend, this past weekend, raced like a 50 to one driver, and he opened at 300 or 500 to one, depending on the book you were looking at. And that's value. I don't care if he finished 18th. That doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is how did he perform? He performed like a 50 to one driver. It's the process. Mm -hmm. Just like when we talked about the Daytona 500 and DFS, we thought very close. And I think our process was spot on. And Mm -hmm. I would do the exact same thing. Even if I think I lost like 300 bucks or something. I don't remember. But it's the process because in the long run, if your process is good, it's going to work out. You're, Absolutely. You're not going to hit 100% of the time. You're no. not going to win 100% of the time. It's We've talked about this before DFS-wise. You know, I've been doing full-time DFS NASCAR for six years now, five years. I lose 70% of the time. Like, I get my ass kicked 70% of the weeks. It's the it's the process. And the 30% of the weeks are the big wins, which, are, which is why – I I make I, I made good money, you know, doing this. It's- Absolutely, and you look at my results, DFS results, same thing. I my my motto has always been lose small, win big. Um, you know, I've obviously I've had big losing weeks, but but by and large, it's funny because even even if you lose a hundred percent of your buy ins, buy ins, lose small, win big still applies because let's say I buy in for five thousand dollars total, I can lose five thousand dollars. But I could win $100,000, right? So even mm-hmm. on your absolute worst weeks, and I think I had two weeks where I had over 90, negative 90% ROI in my DFS career, uh, even in your lose big weeks, you're still limited in what you can lose. You're only limited to the amount you bet. But the winnings you have can multiply 10, 20, 50, 100 fold, depending on the type of contest you played. And I... Went into this, I went to this Daytona 500 expecting to lose and especially more than other years expecting to lose. I think if this was your standard format, if your millionaire maker wasn't, and we talked about this last week with Stevie, wasn't the millionaire maker. If it was your, your typical 20% to first place and uh, 10% of first place going to 10th place, et cetera, you know, close to a double up for cashing it all, that kind of thing. I think I would have broke even or probably even profited given that 
a larger than 20% of my lineups ended up cashing. The problem is because of the millionaire maker structure, my caches were small. And we knew that going in when almost 50% of the prize pool was going to first place. It's not a positive EV structure. You're just hoping, like you said, to pull off a top 10 finish, I think 10th place or whatever it was. I don't remember the exact number, but 10th place maybe barely broke you even if that was your only cash uh, or, or about broke you even. You know what I mean? It was one of those situations where it is not a positive EV contest and I expected to lose, but I gave myself a whole heck of a lot of upside. So losing 1650 out of 3750 buy-ins, I consider that a dud to you for the Daytona 500 and any other, you know, if I, if I just put all those lineups into the mini max or some other kind of low dollar, more sensible structure, I probably would have broken even or, or even profited. I, I would think. And that was, was some pretty bad luck at the end there with Harvick and, and Gillen. And I think both of those were exceptionally good process. I mean, we talked about this Gillen 8.8%. The dude the dude race like a 30% driver, you know, uh, a driver that should have been played 30%. Yep. And I, like I said last week, I'll be going back to that. Well, at Talladega, speaking of Todd Gilliland, shout out to Todd Gilliland top 20 at auto club last weekend, finished 20. Despite being doc. Um, right. That's hmm. well, what's going you know on with the doc we... block this year, dude. Like what is going on it's with doc not... block? Kyle Bush finished. What was it? Sixth at Daytona. Despite wrecking, and Todd Gillen finished twentieth. Uh, despite, well, didn't he wreck or something? He had a problem. Uh, he had something on. He, he was down laps early. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to. Yeah. I'll have to tweet the doc. I'll have to check the uh, doc blog hashtag here because did that was. Your... Did I make mine this week? Yes, I did. Uh, I'm looking it up. Oh, Todd Gillen lost. Oh, yeah. He lost a wheel and tire in the race. Literally, yeah, like, like we saw with Kaz Grala and uh, forget who else at Daytona. Uh, Haley lost a wheel and tire. So I, I assume we're going to see a four race suspension there. But uh, Alex Bowman. Oh, news today. Alex Bowman is dock blocked for Las Vegas. So shout out Alex Bowman. Uh, you're going to have a tire come off. And then you're gonna still rebound for a good finish. Yeah, exactly. This is the new, <laughs> this is the new Doc Blocks trend. <laughs> Two races in, this it's it's happened twice. So I, I don't know what to say. Hey, you're batting a thousand. That's right. And uh, I think I had Daniel Suarez for for the clash. So I don't know if anything happened to him at the clash. It was non points paying though, so it doesn't count. I was gonna say it doesn't count. I'm looking at I'm, I'm looking at my results. I've had Ty Dillon twice this year. Now I had him for Daytona, and I have him for Vegas this week. Oh you, yeah, okay. So two out of the three points paying races. Oh, by the way, so there's this thing on Random Fantasy Racing, RandomFantasyRacing.com, and it's called the Influencer Cup standings. Uh, and that's basically like when you uh, make your random pick it tweets out a link automatically on Twitter. And if somebody makes a pick from clicking your link on Twitter, you get an influencer point. I'm currently fourth in the standings, an influencer out of everybody and all of random fantasy racing fourth in influencer cup with 69 points. 
That's awesome. One, that's nice. But two, that's that's funny that that's tracked. Yeah, that that's cool. I like that because it's people go like, and that's why I've been tweeting my link out this year, especially like every race. I'm like, hey, make sure to make your selection. Don't forget. And that really has yeah. helped elevate me. But it's smart by Steve Lovender, who is the guy that uh, runs Random Fantasy. Uh, hilarious. You should follow Steve Lovender on Twitter if you don't. Um, absolutely hilarious. But uh, I think that's a smart decision by him because what that does, if, if you're somebody like me who somehow for some reason cares about influencer cup standings, that means it, it's just like, uh, you know, embedding. You know, if you get a referral bonus and I don't get a referral bonus, it's just cool to see that I have 69 points or whatever, uh, that I'm fourth in the influencer mm-hmm. cup, um, means absolutely nothing, but you all should still click my link to make your random fantasy picks. Just saying I get nothing I for it. I'm not paid, uh, nothing. It's just fun. There's quite a few weeks that like, I don't remember, like I'll see your tweet. And I'll be like, Oh yeah, I need to, I need to make my random and I click on it. Um, Looking at the standings of random fantasy racing, uh, one person has picked the two winners this year. Yep. NCWX Tracker had uh, Cindric at Daytona, Larson at Fontana, and his pick for Vegas. This is good. This is good. Briscoe. Yeah. So another data point there for PJ on his Briscoe love. He loves Briscoe this year. <laughs> uh, he loves Briscoe in general, but he loves Briscoe this week as well. PJ, if you're listening, the guy that has randomly won both races has Chase Briscoe as his driver for this week. That's awesome. That's insane. I hope Briscoe does it. That, that would be the most ridiculous thing ever. 50 to one long shot. I mean, let's face it. Cindric was kind of a long shot. He was 25, 30, depending on the book you're at for Daytona. Rookie. Uh, you know, it, it, that's crazy. Obviously, Larson is Larson, which is a nice pick, but Larson wasn't the best and still won. And now he's got Chase Briscoe. Imagine if they go three for three. That would be ridiculous. Ridiculous. Just just for comparison, so I've been doing it. I miss a few weeks here and there, but the last five years I've done this 125 races. I've randomly had one winner and it was back in 2019. And this guy has two to start off this year. I'm the Daniel Hemrick of random fantasy. Can't win a damn thing. Although have you, have you picked any winners yet? Never. I've literally never had a random fantasy winner ever. (laughs) And I've uh, been playing since 2015 or 16, something like that. Never had a random fantasy winner ever in a single race. That's ridiculous. You know, you'd think there'd be like a one in 40 chance because whatever, but I guess it's not that, that consistent or, or or what, I don't know. Uh, It's hard to do the math in that, but I've never had a winner. And this guy has Austin Sindrick and Kyle Larson already won twice in two races. And I've never won in, 200 races or something. Uh, also, shout-outs to Skybox NASCAR. Sitting there tied for second in the standings. Uh, I think we follow each other on Twitter. So that that was a name I, I recognized. Sitting there second in the standings. Skybox NASCAR had the six car. So Brad Keselowski, 
at Daytona and Austin Dillon at Fontana. Very interesting. Hmm. Even better, the guy that, uh, or I'm assuming it's a guy, could be a girl, I don't know, um, that has the first two winners. Those are the only picks he's made ever. Wow. His 100% (laughs) win rate in their career. A 100%. That's like, that's like coming in Trevor Baining, the Daytona 500, even though that was his second race of his career. And then winning auto club as well. Like imagine if Trevor Bain won auto club. I don't know. I don't know. That's ridiculous. Uh, Obviously it's not random. Although Daytona is kind of random in general, but you know, Trevor Bain probably wouldn't win his second race in his career, and he didn't. He never won again. But uh, that's insane. I've I, I've got to check my standings, and I know there's like a lot of people don't care about this, but I th- I think it's fun, and we we all joke about the Doc Block. So let's look at Rotodoc career, 136 starts, zero wins, and with. 2016 was the start of the 40 car era, by the way. So my top 10 rate should be about 25% if if it was completely random, which out of 136 starts, let's do the math on that. Uh, I'm not good at math. Should be 34 top 10s. I have 11. Or sorry, uh, 29. I have a 29. So I'm even under on top 10 rate. Top 5 rate should be... 17 i have 11 so i just i suck i'm not good (laughs) oh man yeah i hope briscoe wins it but before we sign off here i'm gonna give our pick who's your pick to win las vegas on sunday penzoil 400 man this one's really tough um i can see kyle arson in it i can see chase elliott I can see William Byron and I can see Tyler Reddick. And I think those would be my four favorites, but I'm going to go with the guy I'm betting. Let's go with William Byron. I figured you'd go William Byron. Yeah. You know, uh, it, maybe it's a little bit of a heart thing, but picking somebody to win. I mean, that's, that's hard anyway. Right. Uh, in, it's data, but oh, it's yeah. also like, you know, it's hard. I think, I think those four should be the four favorites and uh, Reddick and Byron are, are, I think decent value. I see Reddick. I guess I'm still not used to him being in the teens. I he deserves it, like sixteen to one on DraftKings, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I, it's just it's just weird in my head. He opened seventeen uh, on FanDuel and immediately got hit the fourteen. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, he's sitting at sixteen on DraftKings right now, so. Makes sense. I'm so curious, so curious about Circa when they when they post their their lines. I I'm so curious because again, I thought Circa had very sharp lines last week, and they were shorter on Logano than anybody. Eight fifty, I think, in most places were twelve or fourteen. Logano performed like an eight fifty or even a little bit better driver. I mean, he was second best average running position the whole race. You know, I, I he was right up there the whole time. Completely agree with that pricing on Logano. So who, I'm going to roll got? with Pen. I'm going to roll with Penske, and I'm going to go with Ryan Blaney. 
Yeah, I, I I probably forgot to mention Blaney. I think he's right up there in in odds to win. Penske's always been great at Las Vegas. The whole yep, team that's, has been that's so one reason. good. And another reason is historically, the Jordan Jinx from the week before does really good the next week. Yeah, makes sense. So and and Blaney was definitely jinxed Blaney's, on the pit stop area. Blaney is good at Vegas. Like uh fifth fifth seventh mm-hmm. fifth 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 seventh sixth yeah ah oh he's Solid super consistent there uh let's do this so so the jordan jinx worked but like blaney still did well and doc blocked worked but the driver still did well like is this the new thing this year where like <laughs> our our jinxes and our blocks happen but they still kind of do well is this the new trend? We just have to the new trend. We just have to keep a the trend. We have to keep an eye on it, I guess. But um, if you had to pick a long shot, who it could picking? be the new car. Yeah, it could be. Uh, what do you consider a long shot? Just whatever. Just twenty five. Just, just whatever. Just just think of a long shot. <laughs> okay. I don't care. If okay. I don't care if it's my long shot or fifty or a hundred. Okay, Somebody who's not a favorite, is, like let's is, say is, not I, in the top like seven or eight. Martin Trix Jr. Trix makes sense. Yeah, seventeen. I can't. I cannot get that out of my head. Seventeen to one on Truex. Yeah, is it's very. It, it was like uh, when Logano won Kansas or Texas when he held off Harvick on that restart two years ago. He was seventeen to one, and this, I know this because it came up in my memories. Or something. I saw. I saw my screenshot from it. I had him. I had him at seventeen to one on Fanduel and, and hit mm-hmm. that that day. Um, it just that just doesn't make sense. But yeah. Bowman looks kind of juicy too at twenty to one. I agree. What about? Uh, I've got. I've got kind of like maybe three drivers in mind for my favorite long shot bet. Uh, we talked about two of them: Chase Briscoe and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Uh, but Austin Sindrick sitting there in a Penske car. We know how good Penske is at this track, right? 30 yep. to one, uh, on DraftKings, And what is he on FanDuel? I need to get off of top three. He's 30 to one on FanDuel. He looked decent at auto club. I wouldn't say a race winner, but he looked like a 30 to one or better driver at, at auto club. Uh, uh, eighth best average green flag speed, even better than Chase Briscoe. You know, so he looked like an eighth place driver. Let's say if you just went by green flag speed, and what would eighth place be? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight would be Tyler Reddick at sixteen to one or so. Uh, Martin Triggs Jr. sixteen to one. <clears throat> so I'm not sure if my favorite long shot is Stenhouse, Briscoe, or Cindric, but if I absolutely, absolutely had to pick one. I think I'd go Austin Sindrick at 30 to one given the Penske history here. Again, I was going to say it's the Penske. It's, it's weird how they have this track. They're just so good at it, Mm -hmm. but we'll see what happens in practice. We'll see what happens uh, in qualifying, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. The the biggest issue I have with Sindrick. Yeah. I was going to say that was literally what I was going to say. The biggest issue I have with Sindrick is if he wins the pole, that will shorten his odds. Uh, Cindric's odds yeah. definitely shortened because he won the poll. So 
it's tough. It, it, it's tough to say. He is a very talented driver. Um, he obviously struggled a little bit last year. Maybe it's the car. Maybe this car is a little better. Maybe he's just had some bad races. I don't know. I can't write off Austin Centric at 30 to one. And I actually maybe, maybe, maybe slightly like him a little more than Briscoe at 50 and Stenhouse at 50, but I, it would be between those three for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going Truex, but my like super long shot. I'm right there with you on, on Stenhouse. Um, yeah, Stenhouse is good at Vegas. Yeah. And then again, Bowman at 20 to one, just because, Bowman does Bowman things where he'll mm-hmm. just comes out of nowhere. Like, I don't, yeah, I, but he's doc he's, blocked. He's, so. <laughs> he's going to wreck and then means, finish. He's going to wreck and finish yeah. third or something. Or he's going to fail inspection three times and then have a pass through and still. Yeah, exactly. But, but the doc block trend this year is to have an issue and still finish well, but not, not win, you know, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. All right, we can go ahead and wrap this one up. Absolutely. Good luck to everybody in Las Vegas, the best city in the world. And if you don't believe that, it's probably because you haven't been there. So good luck, and we'll talk to you next week when NASCAR heads to Phoenix for – see if – we, you and I are very good at short flat tracks, so I'm excited to talk about Phoenix. Are are we good at short flat tracks with this car? <laughs> no, we are usually good at short flat tracks, so I, I'm with you there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. See you guys. Good luck. Mm-hmm.